What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Solid Ground Podcast. My name is Lucas Larson. Again, I'm joined by my brother, Skylar Farley. Man, how you doing today? Doing great. Excited to jump into Romans chapter 15. Hard to believe that we're at the end of the book, just two chapters to go. Yeah, man. We're, uh, we're rounding off here. We're going to try and uh, get some ideas on where we might be going next. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are some... Uh, what are some uh, talking points that we're gonna we're gonna get through today? Man, so we're gonna find that right at the beginning of chapter 15. He's gonna kind of summarize a little bit of what we went through in chapter 14 last week. Uh, he's gonna re-emphasize the importance of what was written down for us in the scripture, uh, specifically as it relates to those living in the last days. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about Paul's mission attached to the eternal plans and purposes of God to preach the gospel where it had not been preached. And then he's going to give some more closing exhortations and instructions uh, as he's beginning to round out the end of this, this letter to the church in Rome. Thank you. I'm excited for it. Let's go ahead and jump in. All right, let's do it. All right. Starting in verse one. So Romans 15 verse one, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All right, Lucas, how about you just go ahead and give in those first two or three verses just some of the, the main points that are being summarized or the argument that was found in uh, chapter 14 that he's just kind of drawing to a conclusion here. Yeah. So, you know, as we were talking through chapter 14, um, you know, started off Paul talking, you know, don't argue about disputed matters, right. Um, saying things such as eating and drinking, uh, and the days with which you observe as holy days, like all of these things come behind the fact that we are loved by Christ and servants to him. And so because of that, we should live by a law of love in which we lay down our preferences and our desires and loving our brothers and sisters well, uh, seeking to lift them up, to encourage them, to promote peace and to build them up. Um, And so I I think he continues in that same line here. uh, And he talks a bit about, you know, the being strong in faith and weak in faith, you know, this idea of some being you know, maybe confined or restricted by a weaker faith or some being more free by having a stronger faith, right? And so mm-hmm. I think he, he kind of comes back to that here and saying, yeah. and I think this is, is maybe even twofold, that it's not just strong in faith and weak in faith, but it's I think it's strong in might and weak and weak in might, right? Like it's actually right, right. like just loving your brother to the point that you would bear their weaknesses, right? But saying yeah. the strong, and I love my, it's my version of the text says, uh, that the strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, hmm. not to please ourselves. And I think that's just a beautiful picture because it's like, this is like, this is what it looks like to be sold out for your brothers and sisters. Hmm. Like you are, you are obligated to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, to bear with them um, in the areas in which, you know, they struggle to come around to. Right. And, and you do that by not seeking to please yourself, by completely laying down your own life, your own preferences again. Um, and instead, you seek to please your neighbor for their good, for the building up of their lives, right? For, for making them move closer and closer to Christ instead of, like he talked about, mm-hmm. 
in chapter 14, placing a stumbling block in their way. Um, yeah, and, and just gives, a, a beautiful, yeah, sorry, sorry uh, practical picture of that. I don't know if any of you listening or Lucas, if you've ever even watched uh, the world's toughest race, the Eco Challenge. Have you ever seen that before? It's on Prime. No, I don't think so. So, if you can imagine just how horrible a triathlon would be, imagine that stretched out over like seven or eight days, and <laughs> they're in Fiji and they literally don't sleep more than an hour or two through the night. It's a Bro. four-person team. If one member of your team uh, has to bow out of the race, either because they get injured or physically they just can't go on, or mentally they decide to quit, your whole team has to be done. You have to finish with four people. So there's people of all different ability levels. Some people are just trying to complete it. Uh, some people are uh, really trying to compete for the cash prize and obviously the prestige of having won this thing. But there is one particular team, and I would strongly encourage people, if you like getting tired, just watching something to check it out. Uh, <laughs> literally like the exhausted this in the first day. Um, but there's one team where the dad had done a ton of these races through his life and he now has Alzheimer's and he was doing it with his son. And they were like seven days into the this journey, this eco challenge. And what was beautiful was, although he was the weakest amongst the team, they weren't obviously trying to be, you know, they just wanted to finish the race. This was something that a father and son wanted to do as his dad was deteriorating into worse and worse health. Yeah. And they just wanted to complete this race together. And it, the lengths they went to through to help him in his weakness were a beautiful picture of what I think Paul mm. is calling the body of Christ to, is not to be... Uh, the most shining, strapping, strong, amazing uh, athletes, but to bear one another's burdens and yeah. to help one another finish the race. I guess that analogy would help a lot more if people, for those who have actually seen it. But just oh, sure. that picture of there are some who are running uh, because they wanted the prize. And obviously, we should run to win the prize. But it's like this is not just an individual race. We have teammates and people that we're called to do this together with. We want to bear one another's burdens and help them get through the race. Oh, that's so good. And I love that Paul just, I think, offers us the best of all examples. Um, in verse 3, the beginning, he says, for even Christ did not please himself, right? Mm -hmm. And that, same, like that, that statement standing alone is just meant to say, look for this example in Christ. Like, look at Christ as the one who laid down his life for the sake of others. Like, literally, um, in his death on the cross for our sins, but even as he walked out his life, um, you know, and, and, and bowing low to those who were sick or to those, um, you know, who were caught in sin, to those who were broken and for those who were needy. Um, you saw Christ countless times bowing before them and giving them exactly what they needed. Mm -hmm. He's the bread of life. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I just think that as we, as we seek to work this out in our own lives, and I think there's so many different examples mm -hmm. of how this plays out, I think that ultimately we have to be Christ-focused in order mm -hmm. to do it. Um, we have to be setting our eyes on him and seeking him as our example. Amen. And then I love, he goes into verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And we have to remember that when Paul is writing this, the only thing that would have been considered canonized scripture is what we refer to as the Old Testament, right? So the major minor prophets, the Torah, um, the Psalms, Proverbs, and the wisdom literature. So, we have the apostles who were very Old Testament literate, uh, who have a rich context for the gospel that they preach. And one thing that immediately came to mind for me, because he's saying, hey, the effectiveness of those Old Testament scriptures that were written 
didn't die after the revelation of Christ. In fact, they were actually written for those of us who are living in the last days, who are living in this present age, so that we can have endurance uh, to finish this race and be encouraged along the way, uh, which just tells me that all of us probably need to become a little bit more, uh, obviously we should be reading the New Testament as we're trying to come through, you know, even one of these epistles, but to even understand a letter like this, we need yeah. to better understand the richer context out of which it arise. Yeah. Um, and then I love in verse five when he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement uh, and just want to pause there. The verse above it saying that the encouragement and the endurance comes through the scriptures. Here we have it's God who's giving it to us. So yeah. through the scriptures, which are God given, he is imparting endurance and encouragement into us. Mm -hmm. So how much should we be nourishing ourselves in the word of God? Yeah, man, I, I just want to hop on your train for a second. Yeah. Um Man, the, the Old Testament scriptures are so, like, rich in describing the nature of God. Right, um, right, right. Both through, like, the stories depicted uh, and the way in which he so closely worked with his people. Mm -hmm. um, but even in the revelations of uh, David through his psalms, right? Yep. Um, through his praising of the Lord and even his crying out to him. Mm -hmm. Um, and even just the simple declarations of the Lord to his people um, that you might find in Exodus or Deuteronomy. Um, and man, I think that the goal, the goal here is like, as we, as like, we can't be people who are like just nosed in the scriptures, right? Like you can't, you literally can't live life if your like face is stuck in a book. Okay. Like you can't like, so just follow me. I'm not saying don't. <laughs> Like you should, like your nose should be stuck in the scriptures. Okay. Like don't hear me wrong. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is the goal of us coming to the scriptures as I think this is saying here, right. Is to give us hope and endurance. Okay. How does the scriptures give us hope and endurance? If I can't walk through my day to day with my eyes set on the scriptures, reading them continually, hmm. always being set on them. Right. How does it happen? If I come to the scriptures read again as we're talking just for now the old testament right reading through the old testament reading through the ways in which god brought his people out of exodus and had mercy on them showed compassion towards them was slow to anger but even enacted his justful wrath right um and see the nations and attributes of him through the psalms as i hear and read david's praises towards him like how am i given hope for endurance how am i encouraged by that Mm -hmm. If those things begin to stick in my mind through constant meditation, okay, so like you literally have to be stuck in it in order for this to happen, right? But through constant meditation mm -hmm. that those things become stuck in my mind so that when I go mm -hmm. out and live my life, right, when I'm before other people and don't have the scriptures in front of me, they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the spirit engraves them in the back of my mind, might he, uh, that I might be able to know who my God is. Uh, and continue to live that out. And I just want to say, I think, you know, as this was written to a people who had the Old Testament scriptures, how much more do we have now? Right. <laughs> I mean, right, right, in, right. In, in the Gospels and in the epistles, uh, man, like there's so much more like richness and, and mm -hmm. wealth to be gained from it. So many more right. things to be placed in our mind and to hold on to for that hope and endurance. And I just want to touch on this real quick. Uh, you know, the statement that he makes. In verse three, on the contrary, as is written, the insults of those who insult you fallen on me, right? That's saying that, you know, Christ lived a life in which he did not please himself, in which he poured himself out, laid himself down. And through that avenue of living, he was insulted. Uh, mm -hmm. And so in us doing the same thing and us laying our, down our lives for our brothers and sisters and seeking to serve them and not ourselves, the same will happen to us. How do we get through that? How do we endure through that? 
we, we set our noses in the scriptures. We know who our God right. is. Right. And we are continually given hope and encouragement by the fact that we know our God is on our side, though mm. the world may be against us. Mm. Uh, and I mean, again, as we have the New Testament scriptures, even more so are we equipped to be full of hope and encouragement and endurance in our faith as we look at the man Jesus, see the life he lived for us, and then are able to look at these passages here who, you know, Paul over and over again and Peter, as they write their, their letters to the people of God, they are constantly encouraging them through suffering and trials to continue on in the faith, to continue to hold on to the hope of Christ. And so, man, I just think those things need to be ingrained in our minds as we go about our lives. Yeah, and just one more specific example. So uh, almost parallel verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, these things, and I'll mention what these things were uh, in a moment, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So again, he's saying, hey, what Israel went through in the wilderness uh, was actually uh, not only happened to them, but also was written down for your benefit so that you could have this as an example. Uh, those of you who are living in the last days, and what had happened to them, he go, He talks about in the previous verses, okay, they had, uh, all of them were led out of bondage, uh, like in the same way that we were led out of our slavery to sin, which is a lot of what he's talked about in the book of Romans. Um, all of them were baptized through the Red Sea. Uh, all of them saw the, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. All of them yeah. ate from the spiritual food in the wilderness, the manna. All of them drank from the rock. Uh, all of them had these incredible supernatural experiences that parallel New Testament realities we now walk yep. in. And he yep. says, yet God was not pleased with many of them, and he scattered their bodies in the wilderness. They yep. never entered into God's rest. So how does that relate to those who are living in the last days? He's saying, look, some of you have had all these different experiences, and yet some of you uh, are not pursuing a life of faith that pleases God. And it's an mm -hmm. exhortation to consider those who had been through so much with God and yet had forsaken him. Yeah. It's a call not to build idols, not to grumble, not to, uh, you know, engage with the nations and the nations here, not obviously talking about Gentiles, but with worldliness, but to be set apart as a people unto God. Sure. Um, yeah. So then he moving down from this exhortation to take scripture uh, seriously, both instru as instruction and as warning, he says, uh, have the same mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we have to remember the context of Romans, which we've been saying all throughout this study, is you had a Jew-Gentile church, Jews who had been expelled from the region, and then brought back into a predominantly Gentile church, and the cultures were clashing, and they were wondering, yeah. what do we hold on to, what do we not hold on to? And again, he's saying, the highest example you have is Jesus. And if you want this yeah. elaborated on in much more detail, check out Philippians chapter two. And it literally talks about what was the attitude of Jesus? What was the mindset of Jesus? It was to go low. It was to prefer mm -hmm. others in love, which again is what we talked about in the previous four verses and to serve others even unto death. Uh, and in doing so, God was ultimately glorified. Yeah. Wow. So good. I mean, again, I think, you know, the, the chief aim of Paul uh, in this, and I think, you know, as we walk through this chapter, uh, this is kind of like his, you know, closing remarks and instructions to the people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you see it again, as we've seen it before, is, you know, the chief goal and aim in this is to unite Jew and Gentile over mm -hmm. the gospel, right? Yeah. 
And so, you know, he's telling them, look at the scriptures, like, may God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. Like, it's like, that's the goal, according to Christ, so that you might glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, with one mind and with one voice. Mm. And that one mind and one voice is the voice of Christ, as we're seeking to be like him, seeking to live in accordance with him. Um, I mean, we come over, we come under his headship as the body of Christ and we begin to sing out and, and speak with one voice and we begin to live and think, uh, and act with one mind. It's hmm, good. So I'm going to go ahead and read. And then Lucas, if you want to comment on, I'm going to jump into verse seven. Yeah. Uh, so he says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I know you got a lot to say here, but I do just want to say this one thing. Uh, I think he's continuing in thought from where he just was and saying, you know, that the goal is that we might glorify God and Father of our Lord with one mind and one voice. Therefore, as we're living in that one mind, speaking with that one voice, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you to the glory of God. Hmm. Reality is, <laughs> for every saint, that we have been gracefully granted access into the family of God, chosen hmm. by the love of Christ. And so what is the calling for our life? Hmm. It is to set, to accept anyone who might come and believe in Christ as well, yes. um, to accept them into the family here on earth in the way that they've been accepted into the family of God hmm. uh, in a spiritual and heavenly aspect. Yeah, and I think on just at face value, think about in your family growing up, your parents didn't have to tell you, hey, get along with your brothers and sisters if there wasn't a reason to tell you that. <laughs> they, they would say that because you weren't getting along with your brothers and sisters. Right. Yep. Um, so I think about like my dad, say he was going like on a work trip and he talked to my mom first and he kind of got uh, the download on what had been happening while he was gone. And then first thing he says when I get on the phone with him or before he gets off the phone, he's like, hey, and by the way, get along with your sister. Well, mom's <laughs> probably told him that we've been fighting and arguing and driving yeah. her nuts the whole time. <laughs> so we have to remember that this is correspondence. This is a letter. Though we don't have the letter that was written to Paul or what he's writing in response to, just from this statement alone, obviously people weren't accepting each other. Yep. So he throws out the ultimate statement, which is an absolute statement. Hey, Christ yeah. has accepted you and you were totally, as the gospel has already proclaimed in the first 11 chapters, yeah. you were undeserving of Christ accepting you. So you have no grounds or basis for not accepting one another if your faith and your belief and actually being part of the family of God is genuine. Um, and he says, what, what is the end goal of this? To bring praise to God yep. and for God to be glorified yep. in his church. And as we jump into verse eight, I think it's, it's a continuation and again, kind of a short summary of the entire gospel where it's, we have Christ who came as a servant to the Jews to fulfill yeah. the promises given to the patriarchs and that through him, through the seed, all the nations of the world might be blessed. And therefore God is glorified in Israel and in the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And this yeah. should result in us uh, having great confidence in him and being filled with hope, joy, and peace. 
And that becomes tangible in our life as our living hope and confidence in God. No, yeah, and that's so good. That really is such a, like, I feel like that, like, verse 8 and 9 is almost mm-hmm. like a, I mean, it's not quite, but it's almost like a summary of 9 through 11, or chapters mm-hmm. 9 through 11. It's like, <laughs> like right. Christ came to be a servant of the circumcised, being the Jew, right, on behalf right. of God's truth to confirm the promises of the Father, right? Fathers, right. being the fathers of faith, right? And I think even more uh, appropriately, mm-hmm. the father of faith being Abraham, right? Yeah. So from yeah. the promise that was first declared to him. Yeah. And then it's like, and so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Right as it is written, right? Then he goes into these Old Testament prophecies of, of who the Messiah will be to the Gentiles, right? Like mm-hmm. not just the Israelite people, but he says, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I'll sing praise to your name, rejoice mm-hmm. you Gentiles with his people. Gentiles mm-hmm. join in with the rejoicing of the yes. people of God yeah. as you are made apart, grafted into the, the tree, right? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Hmm. What I love is that he's basically saying, hey, here's the story. Here's a snippet. Here's a, a sweeping overview of the story. Live the story. You know, if we trace it back up to verse seven, he's saying, okay, if this is the story that you believe, the gospel that you've received, then it should be present in your daily interactions with one another. It should be played out in your lives and how Jew and Gentile are relating to one another, becoming one new man in Christ and bringing glory to God in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Uh, And then he finishes verse 13, um, sort of like a, an ending of the, this like line of thought, I think in some way, um, when she says, now may God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the spirit. And it's like, may God fill you with with joy and peace as you believe. It's like, as you believe in these things, as you believe in the gospel, as you believe in this great <laughs> grace that God has showed upon both Jew and Gentile, be filled with joy, right? Joy overflowing within yourself for the things mm-hmm. God has done for you and your people, but peace as well as you seek to love those around you. I see mm-hmm. you seek to go low, to, to be a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. to live for those around you. Um, and then I, I love this, in order that you might overflow with hope by mm-hmm. the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's like, as the Holy Spirit is working in you, as he's, I think, helping you believe by the grace of God, giving you the power yeah. to believe, um, so you are stirring up, being filled up more and more with the hope of Christ that spills out, it flows over. If you know, you imagine yourself as a cup and water is flowing into it and that water is the hope of the gospel, uh, mm-hmm. it begins to flow over. It flows over into your community, into your church body, um, and into your, your life, right? As you begin to interact with people who are not even believers, um, mm-hmm. that hope is, is spilled out over onto them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, you know, faith and hope, obviously, two tightly interwoven uh, concepts. And I think this is a living hope that's supposed to have bearing on your everyday life, is what he's saying, you know, joy and peace being tangible in your life because of this hope that you have, despite the fact, if we go back up to verse 3, that, uh, you know, this consider Jesus, for example, who was insulted because of the way he preferred others in love, and yet be filled with an eternal hope because if you you are so confident in God as you trust in him yeah, and you're overflowing with this hope and it's spilling out and it might not even make sense to the world 
because of your status, you know, in the world itself. And yet because of this eternity set before you, because of what God has already fulfilled and what he's going to fulfill, we can have this living and active hope inside of us. All right, ready to jump into let's do verse 14? Where do you want me to read to just to kind of uh, Let's go through 16. Sounds good. Verse 14 through 16, it says, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. First thing I see here, and yours said, nevertheless, mine says, yet. He basically commends them for being solid people, uh, full of good works, being filled with knowledge. Mm They have a full enough understanding they can instruct one another. And he says, but, or yet, or nevertheless, you still had need for the gospel to be re-proclaimed mm-hmm. to you, yep. for you to have an authentic hearing of the gospel so that you could view your uh, issues, you could view your tensions with one another and where mm-hmm. your current church is at in light of the gospel. And the yep. gospel will be like a lens or like a light that you can hold yourself up against and realize, oh, we have to work some of these issues out. We have to need the gospel yep. back into our uh, relationships with one another so that we can actually be a gospel on display community mm. oh, that's so good man i think that even as you know we might lose uh as we read the book of romans some uh sort of application to our lives mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. we're not in the jew gentile culture mm-hmm. um man how many things does the gospel shine through right mm-hmm. as they had all these issues because of this jew gentile tension mm-hmm. uh, how many other issues that we look at as the church uh and maybe bicker over or fight over are are resolved and or shown through by the light of the gospel. Right. Uh, and I think we're able to, to move past uh, or, or work alongside, even in spite of, because of our love for Christ and because of the things he's done for us. And I think, I mean, that's his, again, that's his chief aim in this, this book or in this letter mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is look at Jesus. Like right, you're, right, you're right. bickering over these things that really don't matter in, in right. respect to the great, weight of what christ did for you and what mm-hmm. god is doing in the earth mm-hmm. um so look at these things instead and, and be and i mean i think for our lives like i think that we should daily remind ourselves of the gospel be crafted by and molded by it daily be the lens through which we look at the world yeah uh, yeah. yeah and i guess the question to consider is is the gospel a story i believe or is it a reality that shapes my life That's good. and and it has to be both because it is yep. a real and historical event it's but it's also present news. He's still the resurrected Messiah who did die, who did come to earth, uh, who did teach and did live out a way of life that he now calls us into as his disciples. Uh, so it's also, it's, it's a story that happened and it's still good news today, but it's also a reality that's supposed to shape our lives. And I think sometimes we can make it one or the other and it has to be both. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, as we're here, I just kind of want to take a second to, sort of define uh who this writer is <laughs> as i think he does right so he says uh 
Nevertheless, I've written to you, written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. Hmm. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is essentially uh, by the grace of God. Paul has been anointed as an apostle yeah, uh, to be a minister a of Christ. Yeah. Yep. Yep. To be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, to the ones who haven't heard, right? Mm-hmm. Serving as a priest of the gospel of God. That is um, someone who who brings forth the gospel of God or, mm-hmm. or who stands as a mediator of the gospel of God, one who mm-hmm. interprets it and who speaks of it. Um, and again, I mean, he defines his own purpose, which I think is awesome. <laughs> and when she mm-hmm. says like, and it's, it's one defined by Christ as we'll see here in a moment, right? Um, he says, my purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a, an incredible picture. You want to kind of open up what that really means as, and I mean, I think especially as we are Gentiles and right. we have the gospel a lot of, because of what the apostle Paul did. Right. Right. And I won't go fully into it, but I think that this is just yet another example where this statement alone, the priestly duty, will take on living color if we understand the Old Testament priesthood Mm. and understand all that was involved in ministering before the Lord on the behalf of people. So, you know, what they would carry on their heart, on the breastplate, as they would walk into the presence of the Lord, uh, what was represented in the sacrifices that were offered. And obviously we don't repeat many of those sacrifices uh, or those literal responsibilities in the New Testament or the New Covenant, but what they represented, Paul is here saying much of that's still represented in my priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Um, and he's saying literally, rather than just animal sacrifice, you yourselves are being prepared as the living mm-hmm. offering and the sacrifice that I'm bringing to God. This yeah. is what he's entrusting. And you can even feel that uh, obviously here he's talking about gospel proclamation, but as you read any of the epistles and you hear Paul's heart for the churches that he was invested in, in his prayers, you start to realize the way that he carried these churches over his heart into the presence yeah. of the Lord. Um, and he viewed, I mean, you read in some places that the true marks of him being an apostle were his tears, were how much he had suffered for the different churches, how much he had contended for them in prayer. Uh, all the, the things that he had gone through was unto bringing God an acceptable offering of the people prepared by the gospel, which God had entrusted to them, Mm. um, really takes on such meaning. Um, Again, Paul, like you said, being a sent one, a messenger, an ambassador. And I've heard it say that uh, you can call someone an ambassador to the extent that they are faithful to carry the message or the representation that they've been entrusted with. And Paul stayed within his lines and he knew what his responsibility was. He was married to the eternal plans and purposes of God. And you see that dominating all of his thinking, all of his praying, all of his journeying, all of his writing were dominated by the eternal plans and purposes of God. And he was an ambassador to the extent that God had entrusted him with responsibility. And he was faithful to that. That is so good. You're so right. Yeah. Um, And so I'm going to keep going. Verse 17. Yeah, Yeah. It says, therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, 
My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not, I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Hmm. Well, one thing I want to comment on is he went really far. <laughs> Bro. He went really far, and not only did he go really far just like dropping off some uh, flyers, he said, I, how many can even say this anywhere? Yeah. I have fully proclaimed the gospel yep. of Christ through lifestyle, through the power of the demonstration, or through the demonstration of the, the Spirit's power, yeah. through what I said, uh, through my very presence of being amongst people. Yeah. And he went so far. And why was he able to be so fruitful and go so far? I think it goes back to what we were just talking about a second ago. He was a true apostle in the sense that he was sent of God yep. and understood both the confines and the commission that he had been given by God yep. and man, the power that was released in him being authentically sent by God and understanding that priestly duty before the Lord. Whew. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But did you look at a map? No, I didn't, but I just, I have <laughs> so a just perspective for, that this yeah. is pretty large. Yeah. For reference. Okay. This is so Jerusalem, right. Being uh sort of on the, the coast of the middle East. Right. Um, and then, it, you know, it, it, I can't say the word. Illyricum? Illyricum? Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, right now. So please, yeah. essentially, like, a good way of thinking is, like, Athens, Greece. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, like, the, the I guess that's the top end, top right of Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, man, like, that is, <laughs> that is a lot of ground that <laughs> all covered. And, again, like Skylar said, uh, man, he wasn't just passing through um like he was he was staying in those areas to proclaim the gospel and to lay a groundwork for the gospel um and i, I mean i really i have to think that even and kind of get into this in a second even yeah. because the statement that he refers to in the old testament um that i mean he really spent his time there like laying that foundation among the people that right, he could reach right, right he wasn't just doing good stuff yep. you know yep and, and he I'll, wasn't I'll Sorry, he just—he wasn't just there, standing on the corner for a day or, or a few hours, uh, proclaiming the gospel either. You know, like yeah. like he was—I mean, he was establishing churches uh, because as he would go and preach, people would believe uh, in the message that he brought, uh, and I think he would spend time discipling them, preparing them to then yeah. establish a church there, and then he would yeah. move on. Right? Like yeah. I don't—I don't think that Paul would leave until the gospel was known in that area. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to say that there's a difference between this apostolic activity that was going on. And I'm not just saying that positionally. I'm talking about being authentically sent by God. The difference is when things just come out of our own human mind and our best strategies, it's like we're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's going to stick. Paul was so fruitful because everything he did uh, struck the target and hit the mark. Yeah. And he really had a sense of uh, divine commissioning and what he was about and allowed that to govern everything that he did. And even his message was given from heaven. He wasn't just going out and thinking, how can I present this today in a way that will be cool? Or he, he had a word given from above and yes. was faithful to the extent that uh, God had entrusted him. And I think we have to get back to that um, if we're going to see the same type of fruitfulness in our life. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we even look at just the way that he kind of flushes this out, right? As he yeah. finishes saying, my purpose is the Gentiles might be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He just said that he was a priest of the gospel of God, made a yeah. minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, right? He says, therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. 
for or so or because I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, right? Mm. So it's like all these things, right? Everything that essentially is uh, Paul's, I don't want to say identity, but like his work in the earth or his job in the earth or the things that he made himself about in the earth, right? It was by Christ alone, I think is mm-hmm, what he's saying. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, Christ yeah. accomplished it through me, right. both by word, both by the things that I said, and yeah. by deed, both by the thing, like, and the things that I did with my hands. The, the, you know, even I think, man, even the miles that he was able to travel by foot was done through the power of Christ mm-hmm. in order to attain the obedience of the Gentiles. I think that's the obedience of faith, um, and the obedience by faith, right? The initial obedience of of accepting God as Lord, right, of their lives in faith, um, but also the obedience that follows out of faith and, and keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, I mean, he, he continues to say, these things happen by powers and miraculous signs and by the power of God's Spirit. Again, it's not him. Like, this like this man right, is right, right. laid down for this cause, knowing that it is not him working, but it is Christ in him, right? And so then, and I, and I think that's why he's able to stand with so much confidence in right. verse 19 and say, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lycrim, right? And then, man, I love this here. Um, verse 20, it says, My aim is to preach the gospel where right. Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Uh, I think a lot of people can read this, and I think even myself, uh, for a while before you know, understanding it, almost read it with like like Paul has a little bit of pride here like why why is it that he won't just build on what somebody else has done right like like why is he seeking out like these new ventures right but it's like it's not what it is right like this this here is Paul understanding his calling right what yeah. Christ has called him to in his life and there's almost a distinction made here between those who are uh forefront missionaries right and those mm-hmm. who are pastors and essentially, right. Paul here is saying, I am meant to be on the front lines of advancing the gospel, right? Right. And it's not it's not the calling of my life to be one who stays and builds upon a foundation, mm-hmm. right? It's I'm the one that I feel, you know, Christ has, has ordained me to lay that foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, he builds that upon the, the uh, prophecy here in, in saying that those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. So Paul's calling was set upon the power of Christ in him and the truths of God's purposes and plans for the world in the scriptures. And man, I, I share this with Skylar and this comes from, you know, John Piper took this and, you know, he flipped it towards us. And, And I was saying, you know, I think that so often we can read this and be so in awe at who, Paul was right. The the Christian that he was, be so stirred up and encouraged by his faith. And man, we should be like, don't get me wrong. I think that we should stare at the man Paul and see Jesus and be encouraged by the example that he set. Uh, and man, I think in a lot of ways, strive to be like him, right? Um, but I also think that this question should be turned towards us, especially in this day and age, in which I think the church is often so um, caught up in the quote-unquote like calling culture or potential or mm-hmm. uh, you know like i mean it's it's something that's yeah. always in our language right like oh like yeah. i'm gonna figure out what the calling of my life is or you know, yeah. what god's yeah. calling yeah. Of my life is or 
or, you know, I'm doing this because it's, it's God's calling on my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, I think that, and I think those are things that we should search out again, as we are both a part of the body of Christ on a global and a, uh, you know, national and local level, right. And meant to work out our lives as Christians in that way. I think we're also called as individuals, um, in the body of Christ being hands and feet and mm-hmm. fingers and toes and mouths and eyes. Right. Uh, and so I think each of our lives are individually called for different purposes. But I, I think this is what's key, right? As we look at Paul, who says, I would not dare to say anything except what Christ accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. Essentially, all of my ministry, everything that I've done is not my own. And it was not done by me, but it was Christ through me and it was for mm. him alone. I think we need to first stand on that foundation in our lives and say, there's nothing that we can do without the power of Christ in us, without the power of spirit working of the spirit working through us. And then secondly, he built the foundation of his calling upon the word of God, upon the yeah. things that God was desiring to carry out in the earth. And that right. is that those who are not told would see, those who have not heard will understand. Uh, and that man... He embodied it. <laughs> he fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Italy, to the Gentiles who had not heard, but now they had seen, right? Who had not heard, but now understand. Um, Just a quick note on the whole like purpose calling culture too. Uh, I was thinking about this, not sure if I was going to share it until you said that. I was like, yeah, it's, it's significant. So we go to the Acts 13, you look at the how Paul was commissioned and how he was sent out on his missionary journey. And it says that when believers were gathered together, uh, ministering unto the Lord. So they're fasting, they're praying, and they're worshiping the Lord with no agenda. And then the Lord speaks in their midst and says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for uh, the work that I have for them. And then yeah. it says that they go back to fasting and praying, worshiping more. So it's out of a place of seeking the face of God and just worshiping yeah. him in his presence that God speaks and sets him apart and gives him his commissioning. And I think that that, if you want to know, because there's nothing wrong with wanting to know uh, what God's will is. I know that you're not saying that, but I think sometimes when we make it us centric versus Paul actually was facing towards God and just seeking the Lord and worshiping him and ministering to him. And out of that place and out of that posture, uh, God sets apart, consecrates, um, and then commissions and sends out these two men who go on this radical and fruitful journey that we just described, covering so much ground, so much territory, and obviously bearing fruit that many of us are standing in or may even be uh, living testimonies to through many generations because they ministered unto the Lord first, which you know I wrote in something even earlier today, all true ministry flows out of uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, it's it yeah. starts with that place of worship, and then out of that place, God speaks and God sets apart. So yeah, yeah so good. A little bit of practical advice there, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, can I go ahead and run twenty-two to thirty-three, or is that too big? Yeah, a let's do it. Yeah, let's do all it. All right, sweet. So it says that is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you, but now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. Uh, let me just say when I say that. You know that Paul spent his time in these areas preaching the gospel, laying a foundation. This is why I say that, because he says, <laughs> he says, I now no longer have any work to do in these regions. <laughs> mm. I mean, like it's like he's like I completed the work, like I like I laid. Which is such a crazy statement places. to it be really able is. to say that with confidence and yep. integrity. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, he says, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I traveled to Spain. 
For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I finish this and safely deliver the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I might come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. So just a couple quick takeaways here. Uh, and again, Paul's getting ready to wrap up the letter here shortly. Um, we've talked about this Jew-Gentile relationship through the whole thing. Here Paul's making it immensely practical and telling the Gentiles, hey, don't forget that you're spiritually indebted to uh, the Jewish people and this olive tree that you've been grafted into. So he's exhorting them to participate um, by actually sowing into them financially and blessing them out of their own material riches and blessings. Um, and again, I, I think that that's a, a physical demonstration of what he's been sharing throughout this entire thing. Yeah. Uh, and then I love in verse 30, he just says, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Yeah. And we can do that for one another. You know, it's just, yeah. we can carry each other's burdens, join one another in, in our struggles. But ultimately Paul's not just saying, Hey, I'm having a tough time. He's saying, Hey, I, let's push the gospel forward together in the place of prayer. Let's contend together for the spread of the gospel um, to be fully realized in his church and to go to the regions that it has not yet reached. Yeah, so good. And so we got one chapter left, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we got to talk about what we're doing next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, just to give you all uh, sort of a heads up, I think on what's going to come on this next episode is we're just kind of kind of circle back through um, and walk back through some of just the big points that we walk through as we went through the book of Romans um, and then finish up here with, with Romans 16 and Paul's final remarks to the people in the church of Rome. So that's where we're going. Uh, appreciate y'all walking through the book of Romans with a scholar, brother. Appreciate you. Um, and yeah, peace out, saints. Grace and peace. Awesome. Talk to you guys next week.